Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by the number one New York Times bestselling author, Brad Meltzer, who, along with Josh Mensch, is out with a brand new book. This is called The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. It is available everywhere. And, Brad, I'm not a great historic student, uh, and I hope you don't, I'm not asking you to give anything away, but did this conspiracy work? Uh, you know, no is, of course, the answer. Uh, this is about the plot, to, the Nazi plot, and it really happened to kill Stalin and Churchill and FDR at the height of World War II. And needless to say, of course, the plot was foiled um, because FDR lived and, and Winston Churchill lived and the war was won. But it is amazing to see how close we came. Uh, and just to paint the picture for you, Brian, this is in 1943, right as Stalin is saying uh, he wants us to invade continental Europe. He's getting decimated by the Nazis. We, of course, are sending weapons to him. But he's like, no, I need you to invade. And so FDR realizes, listen, we need to get the big three together, me, Stalin, Churchill, in one room, eye to eye, everyone looking at each other, and get on the same page for Normandy. And this is that moment in history uh, where this meeting has to take place, and the Nazis, what they don't know, is the Nazis get wind that they're all going to meet together. What I thought was interesting, the meetings took place in Tehran, Iran, and the... I thought it was interesting that these world leaders getting together, and this is the time before uh, all the technology that we have today, but was it so vital that these three get together? Because it's not like they're strategically plotting military exercises, and so why couldn't it just be some military leaders that got together? Why did it have to be the three political leaders? Because no one had agreed that there was going to be an invasion yet, and, you know, it's it's not like today where you go on Zoom. Back then, uh, FDR would send, you know, his secretary of state, he'd say, okay, go ask Stalin if he wants to meet and where we should meet. And he'd say, okay, boss, I'll be back in a month. And you'd literally be a month before he heard the answer back. You can't just, like, send him a fax or an email. Um, so it was vital that they're face-to-face because that was how they were going to convince each other. Then, yes, all the military leaders can do their thing, and that's, of course, what happens when the meeting takes place. But the most amazing moment, at least to me, is as FDR arrives in Tehran, you know, everyone's excited to see him. It's the president of the United States in another country, and the motorcade is going down the center of the city. Everyone's, you know, waving and, and trying to see in. The president's waving back, but no one knows that's not the president. That's actually a Secret Service agent who's acting as a decoy. The real FDR is across town, ducked down and hiding in the back of a beat-up sedan, and they're worried that there's a Nazi assassin who's going to kill him. I just ruined chapter one of the Nazi conspiracy, but that's the opening chapter. Well, and as you take us into the book, you really go back in time, even from the story from 1943 where the main conspiracy plot takes place, and talk about especially the United States getting into World War II. And something I thought was so interesting is that the before Pearl Harbor, and I think it was in April of 41, you quote in the book that 81% of Americans wanted nothing to do with the United States getting involved in the war. So was that kind of the lay of the land throughout the entire country? Absolutely. You know, after World War One, you know, we, we tell the story today that in World War II, we punched the Nazis in the jaw like Captain America himself, and we saved the day for democracy, but that's not how it happened. What happened was, is we didn't want to be at war. We had no desire to be at war. And basically what happened was, is, you know, World War I had happened, and we lost so many uh, young men dying in that war. 
Then the stock market crashes. It's a disaster. FDR is elected to save the country from ruin. And no one wants to be in the war at all until, of course, Pearl Harbor. And once Pearl Harbor happens, then we're there. And it, it, we don't declare war on Germany. Germany declares war on us. Adolf Hitler makes, he makes two, uh, well, makes a lot of miscalculations, but I think two of his biggest miscalculations are, one, he thinks that the Soviet Union is going to give up and he can fight them and they'll, they'll lose pretty easily, which, of course, he's wrong. But his other is they say to him, listen, the uh, United States has declared war on Japan. They're mad about Pearl Harbor. Don't get involved. They say to Hitler, don't, don't, this doesn't need to be our fight. Let it be their fight. And Adolf Hitler literally slaps his leg into light when he hears about the attack. And he believes that, you know, the strongest of powers, they don't wait to be attacked. They do the attacking. They make the declarations. And he declares war on us. And when that happens, Winston Churchill remembers a great quote about the United States, that the United States is like a gigantic boiler. And once you light a fire under it, there's no limit to the power it will generate. And he is absolutely right in that moment. You really take us into Hitler's lair. I remember the scene in the book where he finds out about the Pearl Harbor attacks and the knee-slapping thing. But And I know that these tales have been told from the Americans' perspective, from the response to Pearl Harbor and World War II. There's been gazillions of books written about him in the United States already. When you're looking at literature from... Great Britain and even in Germany about the Hitler's regime. What is the the coverage like? Is there just as much historical data out there from the German and UK perspective as there is the United States perspective pertaining to World War II? Well, the hard part of looking at the Nazi perspective is, of course, that so many of the records were destroyed. That's the problem. And and when you look at the Soviets, you know, we had German researchers and uh, and Russian people who spoke Russian for this uh, because we just needed to get different diaries, different firsthand accounts. And the NKVD, the intelligence service for the Soviets, who were the precursor to the KGB, uh, let's just say they like to keep their secrets. They're one of the most secretive organizations in the world. Uh, but one of my favorite moments is one you described, is those ones and those moments of Adolf Hitler and the Wolfslayer in his, in his private headquarters. And one of my in the moments that just was chilling to me is where he invites a guy named Otto Skorzeny. And Otto's a, an actual real person, Nazi, gets paged to the Wolfslayer, and Hitler's trying to find his greatest fighter, his strongest fighters. And he lines them all up shoulder to shoulder, and he gives them a test with one question. He says, what do you think of Italy? And all of them start saying, oh, we love Italy. They're on our side. We'll fight to the end with them. And Otto scores any shouts above everybody, I am from Austria, my Führer. Because it's a gamble by him. He knows, of course, that Hitler is from Austria, and a true Austrian has great resentment to Italy, because Italy, back in World War I, took a piece of Austria and never returned it. And in that moment, Adolf Hitler looks at Otto Skorzeny and he's like, you're my guy. And I won't ruin this part of the book, Brian, but as you saw in it, because I, I know you read it, is he sends Otto Skorzeny, Adolf Hitler sends him on a secret mission that is so crazy, so bananas, with Nazis falling from the sky uh, from these gliders, that we... Josh mentioned I, my co-writer in the book, asked the publisher to put an actual physical photo in the book because we're like, people won't believe it unless they see it. And it really happened. It's the wildest Nazi story you've never heard in your life. I know the one, and I agree. The book is, uh, I'm talking with Brad Meltzer about his new book, The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. He co-wrote it with Josh Minch, and it is available everywhere. 
Brad, another thing that you do, and I know that you've covered conspiracies involving Washington, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and now this new book. You take us into a lot of moments that I don't think a lot of us have thought about. And one that really stood out for me was right after the Pearl Harbor attack, President Roosevelt addresses a joint session of Congress, and you describe his... I know the moment you're talking about. ...his path to the podium. Can you describe that? Because I don't think a lot of us even think about that now. Uh, it, it's one of my... First of all, you're the first person to ask me about it, and I love you for it. Um, it's why we're friends this long. It is one of my favorite moments in the whole book, and, and usually... FDR, who was, of course, uh, you know, had polio uh, in adulthood, was usually combined to a wheelchair, and they'd wheel him up, or they'd figure out a way to kind of sneak him up to the podium. But for the speech of Pearl Harbor, he didn't want to be wheeled up, and he demanded to go up under his own strength. So he has his, his arm crutches there, and he's just using his arm crutches to get there. He's dragging the dead weight of his legs behind him as he gets to the podium, if you, this is a speech, of course, where he says that December 7th is a date which will live in infamy. And if you happen to look it up on YouTube, you'll notice that he doesn't make any hand motions as he gives the speech because he's physically holding himself up to stand in front of Congress. And the only way he accentuates any points is with his head movements. And it's one of the most powerful moments to watch this man under his own strength hold himself up in front of the entire world. Another moment that is not as poignant as that one, but nonetheless I very much enjoyed reading about in the book, is when Winston Churchill paid a visit to the White House. And it turned <laughs> in almost to an Uncle Buck type of a visit. It turned into a three-week visit. And I'm sure President, you know, visiting heads of state, it's a lot different nowadays than it was then. But can you describe Churchill's visit to the White House? Because I think it's one of those events that, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the crazy drunk uncle visiting. Well, I'll tell you this story, and I promise you're going to never look at the White House the same way again. Uh, right after Pearl Harbor, Winston Churchill comes to the White House. And, and I mean, and as you said, back then, they, they met face-to-face. -face. They sat, you know, they gave him an office in the White House to work out of. They gave him a place to sleep. And FDR and one of his aides, uh, every day, Churchill would have a bath. He would draw, they would draw a bathroom. And they open the door, and Winston Churchill is coming out of the bath. He starts naked. And in that moment, he looks over at FDR, at the president, and he says, the Prime Minister of Great Britain has nothing to hide from the President of the United States. And I thought, if I ever get caught naked, that's the thing I'm going to say. It's the perfect thing to say. <laughs> A best-selling author has nothing to hide. The best-selling thing, <laughs> that's the way to say it. I, I think you can even use Churchill's line. It'll be just as good. Okay. Uh, something else that I took away from this is, you know, you have all these these spies, and we think in military strategy about how you foil spy attempts and how information is stolen. A lot of times it comes down to something as simple as people having affairs, and there's a little bit of that in the book. And so how much of the military strategy that took place in World War II that, that you reached was something that was solved with not necessarily military matters, but, you know, involves people, pillow talk, essentially? You know, I, I think we, we, we tell this Americanized version of World War II that is so wonderful, and it's been, you know, preserved in movies like Saving Private Ryan, and all those moments are true. There are these incredible battles, and these famous, you know, of course, Normandy and the cross-channel attack, but we also forget that so much of the story, um, even those stories, are made up of just human people. Uh, when you look at it, it's a very conscious choice by us. When you see Churchill and Stalin and FDR arguing, 
they feel a little bit like mean girls, right? They, they're just arguing with each other and bickering, and they're not, they're not these golden gods who are arguing for the you know, peace on earth. They're human beings who are arguing for their own, over their own petty problems, their own petty egos. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a beautiful way. That's how history is made by human beings. And as you said, one of the key moments in this plot to kill Churchill and Stalin and FDR, uh, one of the ways that, that we find out that the Nazis are out there and doing something is because there's a Nazi spy on the ground in Tehran who's an, you know, gives the Nazis the best thing that anyone can ask for in a fight, which is an opportunity. But he's also sleeping, his girlfriend, with a local woman named Lily Sangari who is from a wealthy family in Iran. And what he doesn't know is she's also cheating on him and sleeping with an American GI. So he's whispering things to her. She's whispering them basically to us. And it's just a human, incredible moment, no less vital than what's going on with FDR and Winston Churchill. Well, this is the way that you bring history alive from a thriller writer's perspective and the, the, the poetry and prose that you give it is just amazing. This book, I loved it. It is called The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. It's by Brad Meltzer along with co-writer Josh Mensch. It is available everywhere. Brad, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and you've put out another great book for us to learn from. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure to chat. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little-